Today on Erotic Awakening, sexual shamanism. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. Every Thursday, your hosts, Dan and Dawn, share with you their experience and insights on kink, power exchange, and erotic life, as well as bring you interviews with exciting people from various lifestyles. Then every Monday, you'll hear from our various guest hosts. These nationally known educators bring a variety of experience to the mics and share with you an ever-increasing diverse world of alternative life. Erotic Awakening is intended for mature audiences. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah? Yeah. So, the whole um, sexual shamanism is going to be a challenging thing for me, although I get it in some ways. Mm-hmm. You are more connected to the woo than I am, for the most part. You keep saying that. I don't believe it. Didn't you just come back <laughs> from a woo-based weekend? I did. Okay. I did. All so right. I had a, a fabulous time, actually, up at Glee, which is um, uh, the same place that the Path of the Kadishti training is done, that mm-hmm. you and I created. Mm-hmm. So, And um, that's why I, I kind of like blink when you say you don't do the woo. It's like you created this thing, and you do Scarlet Sanctuary. And I was telling people last night that you call yourself a barbaric what is it? A barbaric energy worker because you yes. have to touch people. And I looked at them and I said, that's just so that he can touch people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We do have a, the fabulous uh, Kenneth Ray Stubbs on to uh, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, I tell you, that was an easy interview to do. You get him started talking about something he's <laughs> passionate about and he'll just go, go, go. Which many of us do when we talk about things that we're passionate Absolutely. about. <laughs> I know you and I are guilty of that. So, but um, speaking of sexual shamanism, I did want to mention that um, someone that we interviewed two summers ago, I think it was, um, when we were at the um, Babylon Rising. Oh, well, no shit. Was he actually on the, he was on the podcast? He was on he? the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's why, yeah, that's why I wanted to mention it. So, um, Donald Michael Craig uh, passed away recently, mm-hmm. and he is the author of Modern Magic and Modern Sex Magic, which is why we uh, decided to interview him. I don't remember if we did it in one interview or if we broke it up into two because that was a long interview as well so we'll have to look that up but um yeah blessed journeys to donald michael craig i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that podcast now that you mentioned it because i do remember uh that interview there were uh it was out at a campsite Mm -hmm. and the frogs were croaking in Uh the background what a wonderful guy very easy to talk to very down to earth not what I expected, mm-hmm. the two so highly acclaimed books, you know, that he's yeah, had. Yeah. And um, when it comes to ceremonial magic, these, these are two of the ones, well, sex magic as well. These are two of the ones that, that get highly recommended. Absolutely. So. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Like I said, blessed journeys. So we're getting older. It's going to happen to more of us. Absolutely. All right. So, but I did get to um, spend some time what you were just saying, where I was at over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So with Glee, and um, we talked about uh, Kenneth Ray Stubbs a little bit because uh-huh. two of the people up there have taken some of his courses. And we talked a little bit about Donald Michael Craig because we were hoping he was going to be around for an event that's being put together in August. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, lots of talking. Yeah. Lots of talking about shamanistic stuff and ritual BDSM and energy with needles and um, some of the... Uh, 
uh, rituals that I've done. I was telling people how I've stuck needles in your chest before oh, for yeah, a ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just all kinds of stuff. It's, it's just really amazing. And had a really, really great time up there. Did a four-hour meditation. Mm-hmm. So, Quest of the Holy Grail. Very and that's much, only half of it, right? That's only half of it, and I can't make it to the other half, which is next month. So, but um, that one was a little challenging, but really good stuff. Sometimes you gotta throw yourself in the fire to uh, get some healing going. Oh, sure, sure. So eh. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Some of it was a little tough. So uh, we do have that interview coming up with the with the uh, Kenneth Ray Stubbs. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, uh, we do have a question of the day. Uh, which rolls back into the power exchange realm of, and it's pretty straightforward, or, or maybe it's not even a power exchange question. Depends Uh-oh. how you perceive it. Uh, <laughs> our question of the day is, what is the difference between a dom and a master? Oh, uh, yeah. We were going to do that last week, except I threw a totally different one at you. Yes, you did. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So what is the difference between a dom and a master? Well, uh, listener, congratulations. You are um, in the realm where... Definitions don't really mean jack shit anymore, per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really depends on who you ask, where you ask it. If you go ask that on FetLife, you'll get a hundred different answers. Um, so it's important for you to be able to understand some base concepts, and I'll share those with you, and then you'll have to decide for yourself. A lot of people see the Dom and Master as labels of leaders in a power exchange relationship, where some people say, well, Dom is only a uh, play term, a BDSM topping term, where a master is a power exchange term. And just to make it more confusing, some people see use the term master to describe themselves as a BDSM top. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help at all. If you're thinking about it, and I'm going to take it because we're as a power exchange perspective, um, the difference between a dom and a master, really, it's up to you to define what that is. Now, to me, at the point that you are calling yourself a dom, right? And you're talking about power exchange. You are in a relationship with a sub, and you're trying to lead that relationship. Beyond that, there, you can go really deep, the intricacies, but on the top layer, simplest form, that's what it means. Okay. And I'm going to throw a little bit something else out there just to twist it up a little bit. Okay. Okay. So because I have a new boyfriend. Mm-hmm. He's not so new mm. anymore. We've actually been together for a while. Yeah. We're having dinner with D3 and yeah, his I know. I gotta ask significant him. other. Uh-huh. i got to ask him how he wants to be labeled. D3 is going to work right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're getting ready. So I've been dating him for quite a while, right? Uh-huh. So he considers himself a top. Okay. I consider him a little more than that. Because to me, a top is during scene. Right. So, so let me kind of explain this because I may talk myself back into a top. Um, he considers himself a top because he doesn't want to own a slave. Okay. Okay. He doesn't want to be responsible for a slave um, or submissive. I already have a master, right? You and I, power exchange relationship, you are my master, you are my owner. Um, no question there. So back to him, the reason I was going to say I would consider him a dom is because he has a dominant personality. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always cross over into the day-to-day, though. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's bedroom, and he's okay with that. 
So, like I said, it's not that he's striving to be a dominant. So it's in my head that I'm thinking he's more of a dominant than a top. But it's more because of his personality. It's it's not something that's just play scene. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I get a little confused because it's not like he wants to be my dom. Mm-hmm. I just see him as a dominant personality. Right. So I consider him a dom. I would I would agree with that. And although would I would have, have a little... Not, would, would, would. Would. Okay. And I would have a little difficulty with the... Why the? But from my perspective, if you ask me to put a label on him, Dom is a great label. It's that halfway spot between master and top. It's more than a top. Yeah, it's not a master. Yeah, but you know, if I put a lot of details with it, it's not like he. Yeah, he, he. It's not like he tells me to get him a drink. It's not like he tells me to do anything. I mean, there's not that that daily dominant sort of interaction. Yep. But. um I, yeah, there's just that feeling there that there's more than a top. Right. So, or maybe potential for more than a top or something. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it's not like he gives me orders or anything, but it's just that energy that's there. So the, the fun part is the question of the day should say, what is your opinion? Right, right. Right. Um, because in my opinion, if you're going to call yourself master, mm-hmm. then you are responsible for your slave. Right. Period. And that, that's an important thing, that responsibility matrix. Mm-hmm. If you call yourself a dom, that leaves more interpretation. And I would say, oh, that's interesting. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's regional as well. It's also some people are not comfortable with the master-slave terminology just from a historical perspective or even a, a real-time horrors of modern day mm-hmm. slavery they're like well that's not appropriate terminology so well, you and i had an issue with we that lived for a there while. for a little while yeah. yes yeah we did dom sub for a while because we didn't like the words master slave and then um mr Shar look was sitting with mm-hmm. us one day in a booth and said dan why are you not calling yourself master well yeah. I, I don't feel like i am a master uh you're responsible for a slave yeah. <laughs> you've mastered another person you're a master <laughs> so there know. you go. There you go. If so, you have a question of the day. Did we not that, answer something else again? Yes. If, <laughs> if you have a question of the day that we might actually be able to answer, write us at Dane and Dawn at eroticawakening.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 614-414-2072. You can find all kinds of ways to contact us on the Got Contact form on the website, like Facebook, FetLife, Twitter, and blah, blah, blah. Awesome, awesome. So, you know what? And you can also rate us. Let's throw that out there, too. So you can rate us on iTunes. Oh, rate us. Rate us. Yes. yes. Did I say? I thought <laughs> I heard you say write us. Oh, <laughs> rate us on iTunes, tweet about us, like us on Facebook, and tell your friends. Well, there you go. So I see that you've got, uh, who cares about your stupid tentacles because I've got food <laughs> on booze. I saw the picture first. <laughs> you did. Shamwow and Mr. T sent me some wonderful Guinness stewed and glazed corned beef with carrots and potatoes. And when you have that... One day, then for leftovers, the next day, you can have lovely cheesy corned beef hash. And you can take pictures of both and send, you put them on your boobs and send them to me. Uh-huh. I opened up the picture and you looked over my shoulder and you said, oh, those are for me. I said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but they were. They were. They were for you. So Because I get the tentacle links and I got a new link from Treasy um, from the UK mm-hmm. and from FetLife. So, and it was a... Picture of somebody doing charades, and they were spread nude on the floor and had a uh, stuffed octopus 
between their legs. And it was supposed to be a movie title. Do you know what the movie title is? Octopus. No. Octopussy. <laughs> of course. Classic, classic. kind of cute. So, uh, very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. Find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org. Uh, Barrick of the Barrick uh, BSing with Barrick Achieva podcast has some new tech that I want. He's got this new little microphone doohickey. Oh, does he? Yes. And he's going to be taking it to uh, do his next interview. And I don't want to, uh, uh, what is that? Steal his thunder on this next interview. But I am all lustful over his new technology. <laughs> nice, nice, uh, nice. And if people will uh, follow the following instructions, I will be able to go buy that new technology. Nice. Oh. Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Smitten Kitten. So you don't let me do my little pause there. I'm sorry. You pause and I jump in to save the day. Erotic Awakening (laughs) is sponsored in part Cape and All by Smitten Kitten. Smitten Kitten is your online resource and personal guide to all things sex related. They offer over 3,000 unique products and have served the sex positive community for over 10 years. From dildos, the shape of famous presidents... Two uh, pocket pussies named after speakers of the house. You'll find it all at smittenkittenonline.com. Disclaimer, they have neither of those two things I just said, (laughs) but they have thousands of awesome things you should go check out. Use the Dan and Dawn discount code and you'll save 20%. Nice. I'll be interrupting you again this weekend. How so? Because we'll be presenting. We're off to St. Louis. (laughs) The car is being packed again. And yeah, now that I'm working, I'm having to pack that darn suitcase on Sunday night (laughs) for when we leave on Thursday. Uh, You know, it's nice that we have uh, events to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the events that we're going to is the, uh, well, I don't have to tell you about it because I've got this little promo bump that I can shove in here. Ooh, snazzy. Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Don, on May 3rd, we will be in Welland, Ontario at the People of Kink Reunion Party. At 12 o'clock, we're going to start off. We're going to do two presentations. First, we're doing our always fun talk naughty presentation, teaching people how to talk dirty for fun and pleasure. And then we're going to be doing our flirting class. If you're new to the lifestyle, not sure how to get the scene you're looking for, awkward about flirting, just want some confidence or maybe some actual some tricks to get you going, our flirting class will provide all that as well as give you a good laugh or two. At 4.30, there's a full dinner. That's just part of your ticket price. You're getting fed as well. And that'll get you prepped for the party starting at 7 p.m. And we're going till 1 a.m. We're going to party all night long, people of kink style. So come on up, see all your favorite people of kink people. Find out if Crazy Heart's as cute as Dawn says he is. And join us for the first ever People of Kink reunion party. Find out more at peopleofkink.com slash home slash reunion underscore party. Bye, Dawn. Bye, Dan. So that's that. So Wasn't that nice? Have... Uh-huh. Okay. Well, did you want to do... You've had Mischief in May on here. I do, I do. And we should talk about that because I want to make sure we sell out Mischief in May. Wow. Because it's a fantastic event that people should go to. So, oh, listeners, if you are currently driving, pull over 
Thank you. And get out your <laughs> tablet. If you are Mr. T, you're pulling out a droid tablet right now. And if you're the rest of the world, you're pulling out an <laughs> iPad. <laughs> that was a, uh, a little dig at Mr. T. Hope he's listening. Anyway, get on there and look up Mischief, Mischief in May and say, well, hell, that's in the fantastic state known as... Mischief in May? Yeah. Iowa. Iowa. Nice. And it's the best kink event in Iowa or within 2,000 miles of there, <laughs> except for the other <laughs> events that we're going to that like us. <laughs> anyway, you should really go. It's a fantastic event. You and I will be going for the mm-hmm. first time there. Uh, so, in May, yeah. And we're hopeful they'll sell out, and we're hopeful we can do what we can to help them sell out. Fabulous. So if you live in Canada, it's reunion in, in uh, the reunion, the People of Kink Reunion Party. If you're in Iowa... Or anywhere else in the United States, go to the Mischief in May thing, and then go to Bridge Beyond the Sla- Bridging the Slash in Texas, and you'll be full of kink. And then come to PXS, PXS, oh, yeah. PXS. So when it's you're only done, two months away. <laughs> what do all those events have in common? Fantastic dungeon spaces, but maybe uh, you're curious what you're going to do. During your time not in the dungeon. Like the people that followed us around at Kink, at a, a Kinky College? Yes. Because we did the MS track? Yes. Mm-hmm. So if your deal is Power Exchange, then there's only one event to go to, and that is the Power Exchange Summit in Columbus, Ohio on May 30th. So we're all about talking about different events today on the We are. It's, it's ramping up for that season. Yeah. Spring is finally breaking, though you wouldn't <laughs> know it here in Columbus. Is that why people have more <laughs> events? Because it's springtime and everybody's getting Twitter painted? Springtime for yeah. Hitler. <laughs> That's not offensive to any of our podcast listeners. We're just, Sorry, what is the name of that movie? Uh, the Producers. The Producers. Hey, Mel Brooks. Hey, Mel Brooks movie? That's offensive to someone insane. <laughs> All right. Um, boy, anything else on the old show notes here you I want to talk think about? So. This was a quickie. That was a quickie. So let- <laughs> Quickies are good sometimes. Absolutely. So let's talk to Mr. Kenneth Ray Stubbs and find out all about being a sexual shaman and an energetic dancer. Indeed. <clears throat> so, Don, on the Erotic Awakening podcast, we have had tantricas, we have had prostitutes, we have had porn stars. But I don't think we've ever had a sexual shaman on the show before. I don't think so. So we'd like to welcome uh, Kenneth Ray Stubbs, Ph.D., who I understand that you are a sexual shaman. I do not call myself a sexual shaman. Uh, I teach a class called Path of the Sexual Shaman, or a training. Um, uh, I'm definitely a shamanic path. I have shamanic abilities. Uh, but given the way people think of shamanism, particularly in terms of traditional shamans, uh, in other cultures such as Mongolia, South America, uh, etc., um, I do not call myself a shaman. I would say I'm an energy dancer, uh, and I do think of myself as having some shamanic abilities, but most, well, I'll say most people, but many people do have shamanic abilities. Just the question of more or less. Um, and also then how we might frame it. Uh, and I'd be very happy to go into explain what I do mean by shaman uh, a little bit later because a lot of people who call themselves shamans, uh, contemporary people who call themselves shamans, I personally would not call them a shaman given the way their energies uh, are working. Doesn't, that doesn't mean they don't have good intent or, or good uh, techniques. 
just that uh, I have certain criteria that uh, for myself and thinking in terms of what constitutes a person being a shaman. So, energy dancer. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that term, though, energy dancer. That's a neat way to describe it. So, how do you use... Um, Obviously, you're a teacher. I mean, we found you on, on the website. We know people that have taken classes with you before. Um, one of them is actually one of our students, so that's kind of neat. And um, they highly recommend your teachings and, and your training. And like I said, I wouldn't mind taking some myself. But how would you describe how you use shamanistic methods? Ooh, good. I like that. Well... Uh, so he's got to disagree with you too. I mean, so far, we're zero and two in this interview. But that's fine. Go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> I uh, uh, I have been fortunate enough to be with uh, Native American medicine people. I live in Arizona, and there are a number of different uh, uh, cultures here: uh, Navajo, uh, Hopi, are two of the more well known, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, uh, what happened? Well, because of a number of situations, I uh, about ten years ago I traveled up to Hopi land, which is about an eight-hour drive away from where I live, uh, to see a Hopi shaman uh, because I had a condition. Well, I'm quadriplegic, so, so I have a basic condition to start with mm-hmm. to deal with. But I have is having these other difficulties, and it's had an intuition. I need to find some way, some other way of dealing with this. And a friend said, oh, uh, this person uh, up in um, Third Mesa, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So I contacted him, and he said, come on up. And so I took an eight-hour trek up there uh, and uh, went to see him. Uh, and um, uh, I had some really uh, important uh, important developments. Uh, they weren't so much in the form of what we might call healing, but more that, uh, see, I used to, at that time, I was meditating at least an hour every night, in addition to other things, but at least that. And that evening, uh, when I was still up on the land, um, I did my meditation. I said, whoa, something's different. Something has changed. Um, and I later asked him if he would uh, teach classes. And he says, no, I don't teach, meaning he doesn't teach. And, uh, but I've learned with shamans, you just hang with them. Just hang with them. They're teaching all the time. One, uh, the teaching may not be formal, but what's most important is if a, per- if a person is what I would consider to be a shaman, they're energetically developed uh, m- uh, much more extensively than the average person. Um, and uh, and I would say that their uh, abilities are basically unseen abilities. So it's not the external dance uh, the external costume or the prayers they say externally. It's what's happening energetically, which, which can be done very, very quietly, but it, it, it doesn't have the feeling of ceremony for people. Uh, so anyway, over the years, uh, uh, hanging out with him from time to time, uh, actually being apprenticed to, uh, in a shamanic tradition, um, and getting to know other shamans are medicine people, which is another word for shaman, uh, some of which many of which, but not all, would fit my definition of a shaman. Um, I had the good fortune of having familiarity with traditional shamanism uh, outside of mainstream culture. But my background in sexuality, uh, I'm a certified sexologist, 
Um, I used to teach at the Institute for the, for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco. Um, and I stepped into that because I was, I was teaching erotic massage. Um, I, I'd gone to massage school, started teaching couples of all sexual orientations how to do massage and included the genitals as a part of the body. And because of that, I had a, at that time a master's degree in sociology and um, they invited me to teach at the institute. So I started teaching and, and, and also started studying much more about uh, Western sexology, which is different than Tantra, uh, Western Tantra. And so it all just sort of came together, and I was studying the Tibetan Lama and metaphysical teachers, and then a little bit later I learned, uh, met more traditional uh, medicine people, and it all sort of came together, uh, and um, uh, I don't teach traditional ceremonies. Uh, I, I discovered, came to understand other ways relating to energy. But the main thing here, that for me to consider another person a shaman, is their ability to, what I, I'll simplify it and then I'll describe it, to function in other dimensions. To function in other dimensions. And a dimension, by my definition, is a range of frequencies. And all of us are functioning in the, what I would call the incarnated dimension. And that is the lowest range of frequencies. Now, when we do certain types of meditations, certain types of ceremonies, when we have orgasm, uh, and when we take what's called teacher plans, such as ayahuasca, uh, when that, I'm not advocating that, I'm simply saying this <laughs> happens, that we, um, we temporarily are able to function in a limited way at these higher ranges of frequencies. The difference is with the person whom I would consider to be a shaman is he or she is capable of vibrating these higher frequencies 24-7 in ceremony or outside of ceremony when they're sleeping. Um, and the way we do that is develop certain energetic structures that everyone has inherent within ourselves. Um, but a lot of, most people do not develop, do not really awaken. I mean, they're, they're there. <laughs> they just, we just have to focus enough the development of ceremony. And um, so what I began to find is uh, that there was, in many ways, some relationship between sexuality, particularly orgasm, and developing shamanic abilities. And so I eventually put together uh, a program, and I call it empowerment or a training, to support the development of these other structures so that someone can then function at these higher frequencies 24-7. And I call that the path of the sexual shaman because it's about functioning interdimensionally and uh, we can involve our sexuality, uh, uh, particularly as an orgasm, to help to develop that. Um, and so, but it's not dependent upon sexuality the way we think of sexuality. It's a much more broader view of sexuality. Um, so I just sum, sum it up and say, somehow intuitive, I like to say, an energy dancer. Nice. So that's all related. And, and one, other, one other quick thing, if someone wonders, well, what is energy? Well, what do you experience in orgasm? That is an experience of energy. 
Nice. That's so a long thing. <laughs> it's a long thing, but it's it's very it's, it's I like it. So <laughs> let's okay. put it there. But I do have a question for you. So you said um, developing the energy structures. Yeah. All right. Do you mean like um, chakras and nadis and meridians and things like that, or you know, which is the terms that a lot of people use, or yes. do you mean something else? Do you have other vocabulary? That and more. That and more. Okay. To put it this way, I think of us as being a being which incarnates with a set of organized cells called an organism. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that being is, uh, over time I've come to understand it from a conceptual point of view, consists of 20 energetic structures. Most people are developed, uh, at least eight of them, or they wouldn't be alive. One of those energetic structures, I would call the chakras, and that would be the kundalini. They're the two most popular ones. But there are other ones that I call the light body, spirit body, soul body. Oh, like layers? No, no, these are actual structures that I would say are interspersed with each other. Okay. Uh, And they're functioning interactively with each other. Uh, And... In a, it, it, but the organism without these would be uh, called a corpse ah, or, or, or becoming dust in the wind. Uh, and so uh, these, there are other energetic structures, one of which I call the shamanic infrastructure, another one I call the source point, uh, that are particularly involved in functioning interdimensionally. Uh, the and the meaning that we're functioning in more than one dimension, uh, very consciously, and not in trance, not in orgasm. Uh, it doesn't require taking any teacher plant. Um, and I say that because it's so popular now to go down to the Amazon to take ayahuasca. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, it was peyote. Uh, uh, 30 years ago, it was LSD. Uh, any number of uh, in in terrorists. In, in, well, hallucinogenics. Right. Uh, and uh, so that is a, for I think for a lot of us in the contemporary world, that was a step into this. But I do want to say uh, I'm not advocating doing this. Well, what happened for me in the hippie days, you know, certain things like LSD and so forth, kicked open the doors of perception. And after a while I said, you know, isn't there some other way I can get here? Uh, without having to drop a pill or go down to Mexico and, and find peyote buttons and, and peep my guts out uh, <laughs> and you have a lot of stomach pain um, and um, and so at one point I shifted and said you know I gotta put my ass in the meditation mat uh, and that eventually led to studying with Tibetan Lama uh, in Tibetan Buddhism uh, and um, then eventually that led to uh, much more of a shamanic type of uh, or traditional uh, shaman's uh, approach. Right. Well, that was actually going to be one of my next questions was um, I saw that you've done some training with the Lama and you mentioned what an hour of meditation every day and we're, we're still at 20 to 30 minutes every day. An hour would be a, a challenge, but awesome. So the question is, is how does the, the Buddhist path and meditation how do you see them being of benefit with this path 
of, um, I'm still going to call it sexual shamanism <laughs> for the moment. Oh, feel, feel free to do that, yeah. I just technically don't refer to myself as a sexual shaman. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't want to set up those expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. We would build expectations. Talk, talking about performance anxiety. <laughs> 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 so, how, so how did that study of Buddhism help you out? Besides, well, it's not just that, yeah, it's, it was not the study of philosophical Buddhism, right? That's definitely relevant. Um, back up just one second. The I sort of initially when I started looking at who had developed these energetic structures that I eventually started to refer to as the shamanic infrastructure and some other structures. Um, and I sort of found three general classifications in, uh, of people, or categories of people. One is traditional, they have developed these structures and are able to function interdimensionally. One uh, is uh, traditional shamans. Not all traditional shamans, but many of them have developed these structures. Another category would be avant-garde, cutting-edge scientists. Einstein, Tesla, you know, incredible <laughs> intellect. The uh, two people that were worked on the, uh, the double helix and uh, won, uh, won the 1962 uh, Nobel Award uh, for what they had done with, I think it was double helix or DNA. Uh, Madame Curie, uh, uh, Madame Curie and her husband, um, uh, a French scientist, uh, um, um, I guess in the early 19th century, uh, and uh, the uh, so so are uh, uh, Carl Jung, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, some of these really really cutting edge, avant garde, incredible scientists, social scientists, or in the physical sciences, uh, and develop these structures also. And there's a third category: Tibetan lamas, uh, particularly on the upper level. Uh, not every Tibetan Buddhist monk developed this, but the Dalai Lama in Karmapa, uh, the person in my Sacred Prostitute documentary at the beginning, Jajoja Rinpoche, uh, uh, the, the Lama I first studied with in uh, Berkeley, California, Tartang Tulku, who is ta- he, I think he talked about sex once in, all the year, in the number of years that I studied uh, at his institute. Um, and, and I actually quit a job because to spend a month with him uh, and uh, uh, in, in a daily uh, program uh, one summer, and uh, so 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 not all Buddhists by any means would fit this concept of a shaman uh, or interdimensional functioning person. Now, what is different about Buddhism uh, in the eighth, it was about eighth century. Padmasambhava took, he was from India, took Tibet into, uh, excuse me, took Buddhism to Tibet. Now, I'm sure Buddhism had been there before, uh, but uh, he is uh, sort of recognized as the person who really popularized Buddhism uh, in Tibet. And Padmasambhava uh, was uh, considered a tantric master, uh, and tantric masters would also would be what I would consider to be shamans. Uh, and uh, so Buddhism uh, in Tibet in particular, say compared to the uh, the Theravada tradition um, in Ceylon and, and, and much of India and 
uh, Vietnam, uh, in Thailand, which are mainly Theravadan or uh, uh, tradition, earlier the one of the forms of, of general schools of thought in Buddhism. But by the time you get to Tibet, now you have a tantric master who is a shaman taking this into a shamanic culture. Buddha, uh, t- Tibet was much more of a shamanic culture, um, like we think of Mongolia in some ways now. And I'm making huge generalizations to the best I understand it historically. Again, this is what other people have said uh, and the way I've interpreted it. Um, and their practices uh, uh, in Buddhism uh, were sort of a blend of traditional shamanism and mindfulness. This is, I'm going to quick sum it up in terms of my interpretation. Um, it, 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 mindfulness is essential, uh, uh, absolutely essential to, to be effective, I think, uh, in developing oneself uh, shamanically, being present, uh, being aware. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that teacher plants sometimes are not so useful because you don't have your awareness the usual way. You sit in that meditation mat for an hour and you sit and you observe, you observe. You're observing something, uh, your mind, your thoughts, uh, or you're focusing in certain ways. And that mindfulness is very important. Uh, and I think in that bringing that into a shamanic context uh, uh, it, it, so it results in a lot of Tibetan Buddhist practices, not all by any means, uh, could lend oneself to more of a, a shamanic practice uh, in, in a contemporary way. So first I studied with this Ming uh, Mapa Lama, Chakteng uh, Tukku, about placing awareness in your body. Uh, one of his teachings was that uh, whenever you have emotion, uh, what you do is you sit, do your meditation practice, and you don't analyze the emotion, you don't try to define it, you don't try to label it, you just be with it. You know, and, and do that by going into your energy field, your body, uh, and finding the most intense sensation, and placing your awareness there, right in the center of it being one with it, to use my language. And the very act of focusing your awareness in some place that has a lot of intensity, because usually there's intensity there because the energy is not flowing. It's sort of stuck with the way we talk about it. And it gets blocked up. um, And it becomes intense and starts building. Um, And often we have discomfort dysfunctionality, disease. So by placing our awareness in that place of intensity, something about that process is transformative. Um, and, and shamanism me is totally about, well, primarily about transformation. And, uh, and so how Buddhism relates to shamanism and what I'm when I when I think that I'm into, is mainly the thing of uh, mindfulness. Uh, and uh, now let me back up one little second here and say, to have the to do all these things, you've got to have energy. And here's where sexuality comes in. For the for most people, for the average person, 
the best way to get more intensity of energy is in the act of orgasm. Orgasm brings in energy. Uh, uh, and, and not the type of energy we get from food, sunlight, and water, but the type of energy that's necessary to develop the structures to function interdimensionally. So that sexuality, and especially in the form of expression of, uh, of uh, orgasm, is one of the best ways to get more energy. But many religious traditions uh, are very uptight about talking about it, about sexuality. But you know, here I was <laughs> teaching an institute for the advanced study of human sexuality. Uh, you know, one day, the next day, over meditating with the Tibetan Lama, uh, where we never talked about sex. In fact, I was told not to tell people what I did, which was teach erotic massage. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just blew me away. You know, you know they, they, they weren't uptight about my, about my being there. They said, "Just don't talk about it." <laughs> wow. <laughs> And yet, it's interesting. Some of the breathing techniques we were, uh, the, the Lama was teaching us, people would have orgasms, and I would just be listening to people. Uh, and there's a type of something called ocean breath, and I once had a very interesting orgasmic experience doing that. But of course, you would never share that right. with anyone. But so, I mean, you know, during one of the breaks, someone said something that, mm, okay, I know, I know what's going on. I've had one of those too, <laughs> and. <laughs> So, uh, unfortunately, even even, to, even Buddhism uh, or even Tibetan Buddhism can really publicly want to disassociate with anything that looks like sexuality, uh, and uh, it's too bad because the uh, what I'm talking about, while one does not need to be sexual or orgasmic, uh, however. It is one of the ways to prime the pump. It is one of the ways to get more energy, of a, t a certain type of energy, that helps us to develop these structures, enable us to function in the higher ranges of frequencies, which therefore results in developing these structures, enabling us then to do what uh, traditional shamans can do when we learn to apply it in certain contexts. Again, a long answer. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I've got a lot of notes down here as, as uh, just random stuff that I, I like to be reminded of because I consider myself a, a, a Buddhist-flavored shamanic kadishtu. So, <laughs> All right. right. Well, we're talking about another word. Then, then let me tell you, I came to use the word sexual shaman because the word sacred prostitute was inadequate. Right. When, when I... Uh, it, it, not that it's inadequate, given what the reaction I had to deal with when people right. were... Uh, I, for many years, I felt there was a strong relationship between spirituality and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I would say the word, well, I'm into the reintegration of spirituality and sexuality. And I swear, it seemed like the, the, the thought would go in a person's ear and come out the other side, like, they didn't, you know, it didn't phase, they, they didn't relate to what I was saying. And so, I decided, well, I'll Tell, get people to tell their stories. So uh, the book Women of the Light came out in 1995, and I invited nine different women that I knew uh, who were really living this, um, and uh, who were in the, who were definitely on the spiritual paths, and that whatever it was for them, uh, are very spiritually aware, and that they were doing 
somatic hands-on things regarding sexuality. And they were receiving money for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and invited them to, to write their stories. Uh, and I did a little bit of editing and then introduced each person and came up with this book called Women of the Light. Um, the new, and I had asked them what were some of the things that had influenced them in their becoming what they were. Because this is 19, you know, early 1990s and, and 1980s, a little after the hippie days, but still there was no real area of sacred sexuality practitioner. This was had not yet come to... Uh, uh, to be uh, emphasized. Uh, there was writings about the sacred whore, the sacred prostitute, um, and, and, and such, but there was. it wasn't until around 1995 when that book came out, but particularly when the Internet came out and people started to realize that here I am in uh, a small town in Iowa doing what I'm doing, and there are people in other places in the country with a similar approach, similar attitude. And so I am not alone. Right. I don't mean right here alone. I'm in San Francisco, sex. <laughs> My God, you know, we had anything you wanted, everything you wanted, and not a whole lot of hassle uh, uh, and comparatively. And so anyway, the I asked the, the women in the book what had influenced them. And several people mentioned the book the Sacred Prostitute by Nancy Claus Corbett. And the other one was When God Was a Woman. Oh, I've read that one. That was one by uh, Stone, I think her last name is. Uh, and uh, so when I decided to put the book together, I thought, Sacred Prostitute. And so I decided to uh, 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 put the subtitle, Women of the Light, The New Sacred Prostitute. And then my ideas evolved with that, and uh, about eight years later, or so it was, uh, I uh, did a documentary called The Sacred Prostitute. But as I was putting it, getting people to be in that documentary, uh, uh, sometimes I get the feedback, Sacred Prostitute, oh, Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get feedback from people, and I was trying to uh, find a word uh, that when you use, the, the main word in the literature is the sacred prostitute. There have been other words too, but that's when, when you read writings by different people and talk about this area, the sacred prostitute was the main term. So I use that term. Uh, but I felt like I had to do a lot of explaining. Uh, and uh, so I uh, kept looking for another term. And so spontaneously during that documentary, I started saying the word sexual shaman. And I really liked the word uh, because what I was really talking about was like the traditional priestess, priest, uh, healer uh, in the, some of these ancient cultures probably were shamans mm-hmm. uh, and they related to sexuality in some way. Um, and uh, so sexual shaman, alliteration, you get the sound sexual shaman. <laughs> it sounds uh, good. It, it sounds good. Uh, and I get to define it because uh, I don't know if I'd ever heard anyone ever use that word before, but I looked back on the internet and say, oh, someone had talked about this in some program or some writing prior to my usage of it. But, I mean, I didn't coin the term, but uh, but I don't think, it was not a, a popular term at the time. Right. So I use the word sexual shaman uh, uh, to convey what I really wanted to convey. 
and I, I want to make a distinction here. Um, and, and unfortunately, we have prostitute, sex worker on the one hand, and then we have tantra teacher and sacred sexuality practitioner, uh, another term. And the distinction, I think, is important here. Is a practitioner mainly involved in fantasy fulfillment or in transformation? And what label we put on the person is not so relevant. But I, I knew that I was not interested in fantasy fulfillment. Right. I mean, some people are, and that's great. And you know, you know, you get great entertainers and uh, actors and actresses and, and musicians. You know, really just helping us to fulfill our fantasies <laughs> in, in drama and theater and in music and the arts. But that was not who I wanted to be. I wanted to be involved much more in transformation. Um, and so I've chosen the word sexual shaman to imply more of a transformation focus than a fantasy fulfillment focus. Okay. And, of course, they're related. They're not unrelated. Right. Yeah. So I just want to put a little bit of context there. So anyway, the sexual shaman term came about to try to find a better word that I would not run into people's stereotypes and expectations when I use the word uh, sexual, uh, I use the word sacred prostitute. And we have a lot of uh, similar view when we use the word kadishti or kadishtu. Because yes. if you tell people you're a tantrika, they already believe they know what that means. Or a shaman. They are, if you said, hey, Dan, I'm a shaman, then I already have a story that I'm going to tell myself about what you just said. If I introduce myself as a kadishtu, most people, or a kadesh, I should say, most people would look at me and go, oh. And if they say, okay, great, I, I love that team then you can say, oh, this might be an opportunity for education because you don't know what that means. And you don't have to start off with that preconceived notion. Exactly. Yeah, same idea. So we wanted to ask you, uh, and, and granted, Dawn's been sitting here, by the way, hopping up and down on her seat the whole time, uh, <laughs> just digging what you're saying. But we did want to ask you one last question. And Dawn, you've got a, a list of like 19 of them, but what one do you want to take us out with? Oh, my gosh. A last question? Oh, I got to pick. I got to pick. Um... <laughs> Okay, well, I've got one. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, Ray, uh, Ray, this is not really, I'm not setting you up, I promise, but this is one that uh, our favorite Tantricas, uh, Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson, just hit me with. And I didn't realize what a very short but loaded question it is, so I'm going to lay this one on you. So, All right. uh, what is sex? <laughs> All right, I do have a possible answer. And what I see is people have generally four conceptualizations of sex, or I'll use the word sexual nature to make it a little bit broader. Okay. One is procreation. Uh, you know, what is sex? Well, it's about having babies. That is one popular view. Another, which comes from my days in the 1950s, where we saw the, the husband and wives, uh, husband and wives in. And, and, the, and the movies and TV sleeping in separate beds. Uh, and I would call that the romance or romantic love point of view of sex. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a euphemism. It's a symbolic way of talking about sex, but also courtship, attraction, uh, romance, all for me have sort of a sexual attraction underpinning there. So a variety, one, ver one version uh, of what sex is, is uh, romantic love. Okay, makes sense. And, and then in the hippie days, 
then uh, kick out the jams, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so we had sexual passion. Where it was okay, why don't we do it in the road? At least that was my interpretation of what they were doing. Who knows what they were doing? <laughs> so... Um, uh, where you know people were sexually active, and this whole bullshit around where well, women are sluts if they have sex, that shifted to uh, well, you know, everybody, everyone's got a choice, yes or no. You can do it or not do it, and either you do, you're fine. If you don't, you're fine. Uh, so, sexual passion is much more like doing it uh, 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 with lust and desire, uh, and. Then they had Tantra coming in in the 70s. It was before, but it really started to, became, started to be popular, or begin to pop some popularity in the 70s. And uh, the way I would uh, look at this fourth thing, what is sex, or what is that sexual nature, I would say, I call it um, energetic sex, or energy merging sex, where it's about bringing your energies together which happens very, very naturally when you make love and have an orgasm. But we can do it with our focused intent. So it begins to look more like meditation. Um, and, and also, given now that we're on Skype and we're becoming uh, you know, at long distance, uh, it, it is possible to energetically merge with a person at a distance. And while it's definitely not the same thing as yummy, yummy, you know, rubbing your bodies together, and skin and the sweat and the screaming in your ear and all that good stuff and scratches on your back. <laughs> it still is a way of relating sexually. Uh, if, if that connection, if that's the nature of the connection, you can merge energetically without, uh, uh, without being sexual focus or sexual feeling, uh, uh, come up into the process. But, Sexuality could be a, uh, a, a blending uh, or a merging of energies because that is exactly what happens, my understanding, my observation, exactly what happens when we have orgasms. Um, and for another person, we have an orgasm. Our energies, many of our energetic structures, literally go into the same energetic pattern, the, the, the same pattern for a moment, and I call that merging. So... For me, sex could be any four of those or any combination of those four. Wow. You got that all figured out. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call Mark and Patricia back and say, wait, I've changed my answer. It's not about my penis after all. <laughs> and where, where that answer came out from was um, uh, I was in a dissertation committee. A person was working on her PhD a dissertation. Uh, I, you know, we have, we have a committee. You know, people have PhDs approve other people to get a PhD. And so I was on the committee. And she was talking. She was struggling with this concept of um, uh, ecstatic sex, ecstatic sex. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out, well, how would I classify sex? And so I'd come up with three and then uh, four of these different ways. And Western sexology does not understand energy merging sex. It understands other three uh, that I first talked about, but it wasn't until we brought in tantra. Uh, and similar perspectives from the East that we started to look at sexuality as an energetic interaction, regardless of whether we're physically touching or not. Nice. Makes sense. Well, that's 
all I've got. <laughs> Ray, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot, and Dawn is completely sitting here all juicy and ready to, to <laughs> express and explore some of all four layers of what is sex. So, all right. <laughs> well, there'll be a choice around the procreation model. I wonder. Now, I wrote the Planned Parenthood one summer in Chicago, so do be a choice about that one. <laughs> oh no, I'm, t- I'm t- no. Yes, we've we've chosen we've chosen chose not, not to, to do that. Yes. <laughs> All right. All How right. can our audience find out more about Kenneth Ray Stubbs? Well, the main website is sexualshaman.com, and uh, um, and also I have a, a Vimeo ch- uh, channel, Vimeo forward slash Sexual shaman, one word. Vimeo oh, nice. slash sexual shaman. So that more commentaries like this, more of my opinions and biases and, and perspectives. <laughs> Fantastic! Thank you very much for sitting with us today. We're going to go get in some practice. All right. Thanks for listening. And I just take long, give you long answers. <laughs>